Today's episode is brought to you by the Academy for Virtual Teaching, a community of creative entrepreneurs building proficient, profitable, and professional online teaching businesses. Are you ready to invest in your business by adding online education to your income stream? The Academy for Virtual Teaching can help you overcome your fear of technology, create on-demand workshops, and learn to use educational video as part of an effective marketing strategy. Check them out at a4vt.com. That's a4, the number four, vt.com. Thank you so much to the Academy for Virtual Teaching. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 241 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about surface pattern design with my guest, Elizabeth Silver. Elizabeth is a professional surface pattern designer with 20 years in the industry. Her colorful patterns and illustrations are regularly featured in major retailers like Target, Michaels, and Walmart. And she licenses with over 30 partners. She uses her experience and numerous product categories to teach beginner surface pattern designers how to move past overwhelm and obstacles to create a profitable creative business through courses, YouTube, and blog content. Elizabeth Silver, welcome. Hi, Abby. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. And I love the topic of surface design. I have to say, when I um, wasn't in the craft industry yet, when I was just a consumer of craft uh, products and things like that, I actually had no idea that surface pattern design was a career. Like I never thought about how these different patterns and motifs get on all of the things that we buy. I don't know whether you encounter people in your day-to-day who you're like, oh yeah, I'm a surface pattern designer. And they're like, a what? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All the time. Yes. I pretty much always have to explain what my career is. And to be honest, I didn't think about it either until I was one. And I think Almost everyone who's come into this industry has had that moment where suddenly they're like, this is a job. Like we see art around us all the time. We go to stores, we buy the products, but you just really don't think about the person behind the the art um, until suddenly it's presented to you as an option. So I went to school for surface design and truly it wasn't until I was yeah taking the classes that I was like, wait a second, you know, paper towels have designs on them, you know, (laughs) everything has a design on them. So it's definitely a a small niche until you get into it. And then you realize where it's everywhere. Yeah. It's on the back of your sponge, your kitchen sponge. It's on um, tissue boxes. I mean, literally it's on everything. And once your eyes are open to it, you start to appreciate, as you said, that there is art all around us on all of the products that we have. Um, But before then, it's sort of like under the surface and you don't see it. So I'm really interested in this, um, in this interview and talking to you about your background, because I think it's a, it is a career opportunity for a lot of people and also a dream for a lot of people um, to be able to do, to do what you do. So um, I'm imagining you were probably a pretty artistic kid, given that you grew up to become an artist. Is that right? 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Definitely love to uh, dig into art projects. Had all those kind of craft kits, and you know, was always making things out of other things, um, jewelry out of re- old credit cards or or uh, membership cards from my mom's wallet, and you know, different all kinds of different projects. And I even was lucky enough to have down in our basement where once was a workshop, a, a wood workshop turned into my art studio with various projects and, um, you know, a painted mural on the wall and things like that. So I was always sort of adding color into any, any spot that I could. Um, so definitely my, my dream, I think when I was, you know, eighth, ninth, 10th grade was to be an author illustrator of children's books, actually. So that was that was something that I had been interested in. And and then I brought it to college. And I was I, I for some reason, by the time I got to college, I wasn't really thinking about that. But I just I have an older sister who was a graphic designer. So I figured, oh, I'm going to do something art related. It's probably going to be like graphic design. You know, I wanted to do something functional. So I found the perfect blend in surface pattern design. Right. And why did you want to do something functional? Because I feel the same way. I mean, one of the things I love about craft is that what you're making is often something you can use, whether that's like a ceramic mug or a quilt that you can get underneath or a knitted hat. Like a lot of craft is art that you can then use every day. And for me, I always felt like when I was in art classes, it wasn't as satisfying to just make something that you would hang on the wall or would like stay in your portfolio. I always liked making something that you could use. And in, in a lot of ways, surface pattern design is, is really the same way, but, and, and as is graphic design, because it's used on, you know, all the kinds of things that we read and et cetera. So was there something about um, art making that was useful that appealed to you? Yeah, I, you know, I really feel the same way as you do. It's some, being Something being useful. I think, I think it stems from, the fact that I am pretty left-brained, I call, you know, I say I am a left-brained creative. I'm not, I've never really identified with the idea of like, oh, I just have, I have this art inside me that needs to get out. Like (laughs) I have this, you know, I want to spend time um, just, just making and, and I don't know. I, I, I just was always a little bit more like analytical and about about creating art. I enjoyed doing it and I I love to see it be useful. So that is why I think, you know, service pattern appealed to me. My original major when I first started was advertising design. Um and it was only for a semester and I was taking an elective in service pattern design and really the reason that it was such a great so appealing to me is because there actually is a lot of creativity and, you know, illustration and fun in surface pattern design. We know, you know, the amount of different uh, types of motifs and icons and things you might see on some of your artwork. It can be anything from florals to, you know, cats wearing birthday hats on your birthday card and things like that. So there's, there's a really wide range of things you can do for surface design. But just knowing that it has a purpose and it's it's going to go somewhere and yeah, not going to just um, hang on a wall or be in a gallery. That just I don't know why that just never total no never appealed to me. So you went to Syracuse where they had a surface design major, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I don't know at, at that time when you were there, 
had they made the leap to digital or was it still like how much of your training, I guess, was on like the Adobe suite and and on uh, the computer and digital art or how much of it was like making repeat patterns in some other way that was much more manual? Yeah, that is a great question. I was really right on the cusp. So I graduated in 2003. Um, so which meant, you know, my first year of college was 1999, but it was, you know, more foundational art, you know, I took all the sort of, you know, drawing and, and, and 3d and things like that. But so it was really 2000 to 2003, I was studying surface design and yeah, 90% of it was done sort of quote unquote, the old fashioned way, which was drawing things out, uh, putting things into repeat through tracing paper, um, you know, by drawing some of the motifs, tracing them, putting them in different spots, making sure that they layer up, and then painting those designs with wash paint. Um, And then it was my last year that we learned some of the digital skills, Adobe and um, Illustrator and Ned Graphics was another one, which is like an, an industry program that we got a lesson on. And so, I mean, those programs are quite large and one semester to two semesters isn't really enough, but we got the basic ideas and we we learned. But as soon as I entered the workforce, I was only on digital. Like I'd never use wash, <laughs> never to be seen again, <laughs> never use wash again, or put anything into, at least put anything into repeat with tracing paper again. That definitely never happened again. So I really, I I, I was sort of, analog trained, but then, you know, mostly digital from then on. Honestly, I kind of think you got the best of both worlds, but maybe that's just me. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I feel like you got, you saw how it was done before and then also was able to get professional training in a college setting on how it's going to be done now. So that's kind of great. It, it really is. I mean, I think this is the uh, the elder millennial is what they call as they call my my particular very small set of generation, which is the people who like grew up knowing what the internet was, but remembered before everything was internet. And so, yeah, it's the same idea. It's like seeing the the switch to digital um, ha- has been really being able to see both sides is really amazing. And then also hearing hearing older um, designers in my workplaces talk about how, oh, you're so lucky. Like we had to paint four different colorways, like hand paint every colorway and things like that, where, you know, if you just want to see if a a floral design looks better on a different background, you can't just click through and see like, oh, pink is better than dark blue. It's like a whole, you have to paint, I don't know, acetate and then lay it over and decide if that's going to look good. And oh my goodness. So it's like the the tools available to me have been so vast and made my job so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you got this degree, which um, I feel like it's a pretty employable degree. Like I was a history major and it's kind of like, what do you do next? You know, there's like, but I feel like you have like job skills from this degree. Yes. So um, um, what kind of um, position were you able to get right out of college? Yeah, so... The Syracuse program really was one of the few surface pattern design programs in in America. Um, They have, you know, the Fashion Institute and some of the art schools had, you know, textile design, which often included pattern design, um, but also kind of dug into more like wovens and things about the actual like textiles themselves. Um, So... 
the program was pretty well known within the industry because lots of Syracuse grads went on to do all the art that we see everywhere. So um, yeah, I was quite employable and I was able to get a job uh, only a few months after college in New York at West Point Stevens, which now is called West Point Homes. And that was a, that's a bedding company. I mean, they do towels and other like home linens, but bedding was their, their main thing. And that is, that's where I worked for the first few years, um, designing, designing bedding. So I'm imagining, um, even though you did, you know, study this in college, that when you're actually in the workforce, at least for me, it was like a shocker, like <laughs> what it really oh is God. to go to a real job um, when you're out of college where, you know, you've been a student since you were in kindergarten and now you are, you know, working nine to five or whatever. So what are some of the things that you realized about surface design about yourself during that period? Oh, man, it was definitely a learning curve. Um, figuring out the programs at- uh, that first job, I, I felt more comfortable with Ned Graphics. So I used Ned Graphics, which, as I said, was a kind of a niche industry program in in that first job in the first two years. And then in the my next job, which was in home home linens and table linens, I learned um, I did Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop, and that was a major learning curve. But in the first job, yeah, learning to be basically an adult and have to uh, you know, go in every day and sit there and do the work. Um, it was, it was definitely, definitely a learning curve. And looking back at some of my, you know, early, early, uh, job experiences, it's, it's, it's interesting how you have to learn what, you know, what you're, what your boss is looking for. <laughs> I felt like I was lowly, I was in the the low totem pole, right? So I honestly didn't, we had these beautiful showrooms full of beds and stuff like that, but I was just sort of, West Point Stevens was quite a large company. And, and so I, we would visit the showroom on market week, like a walkthrough for like 25 minutes. Like there was, it was on another floor. Like I wasn't involved in, in really any of the decision-making or anything like that. Once in a while, my boss would call me in to look at some artwork that he was considering purchasing. But like, I was really just very like a small cog in that company. And so I really didn't have any sort of bigger picture. I was just doing the like production work. And sometimes I was creating something a little bit more on my own, but a lot of it was very much production work, taking art that had already existed and recoloring it or putting it into repeat if it wasn't in repeat or things, things of that nature that are necessary to make, um, you know, to make designs work, but are not, don't, aren't necessarily super creative, but I was fine with that because I was sort of getting my, you know, getting my feet underneath me for being, yeah, being an adult, going to work every day and doing this thing all the time. So, doing the production work was a good way to introduce me into that rather than being thrown into like a bigger conversation about, you know, what the customer really is looking for and what trends do you think are important. Now I you think about all that stuff, but back then I didn't need to. And that was probably a good stepping stone. Right. And then, so it sounds like you had a few other jobs and like the next one was very Adobe focus and you learned it sounds like that program those programs, yeah that was a are, big yeah. <laughs> yeah that was a big learning curve I I rem, I said for that job like oh yeah I know Photoshop and Illustrator but then it's like oh it 
I learned it once in college for, you know, one semester, two years ago, you get there and you're like, wow, okay. I mean, yeah, I know how to do it, but the things that you like, it, it was a big learning curve. I always tell a story about one of my first, uh, one of my first big projects that I had to do was to design this Paisley that was super, super, super detailed. And it and I had to do it in Adobe Illustrator. And it just was so it took me, I swear it took me two weeks. <laughs> and 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 like my boss was super patient. I mean, my boss at that job was amazing. Um, she was such a great mentor, but but it was just such a slow process because it was such a learning curve. But that's how you, you know, seeing how other people do things and trying it out yourself. There's no way that school could have prepared me for that. Yes, they could have given me that assignment, but it it just you have to learn these things on the job. So that's why I really, I love that I've had that experience and then have gone into a freelance independent artist um, situation because, you know, learning on the job that nothing, nothing really beats being able to collaborate and say, wait, how did you do this? Oh, you did it this way. Oh, I never even thought about that way. And like kind of being able to go back and forth with coworkers and, and other people and, and get that feedback. Yeah. And did you learn about customers and what customers want and marketability and products? Like, did you get some idea about like how to create something that's going to sell through those experiences working as what they call like an in-house designer is is what you were? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I had more, much more insight into that in the, in my second and third in-house jobs. So I had three in-house jobs. So the first was the bedding company, which was a large company. The second company was a table linens company. Um, well, they did bedding and they did bath and stuff, but my division was table linens, but it was a much smaller company. I got, I was helping style the market for market week, you know, we were thinking about the lines, like I was really much more involved in all the decisions. And so I really got to see it, I would go, I would be the one, you know, going to the studio appointments and choosing prints that might work for our lines, along with my boss. Um, But I just had a lot more experience in a lot of different levels um, through that company. So I really appreciate that. And, And being able to see and hear the feedback from various retailers about all our presentations. You know, we were trying to get things placed at JCPenney and Target and Walmart and all those big companies, and then seeing why certain things got rejected and certain things moved forward and the changes they asked us to make. You know, I had to make all those changes. I got all that feedback. I heard all those conversations. And that was such an integral part of my experience because this is something that I repeat all the time for people. It's like, I learned how to not take feedback really personally and not associate, um, you know, a yes or a no, or a make changes with anything to do with my own personal, like opinions or, or feelings, right? Because as artists, you know, I think some people really internalize what they're creating and, you know, what's successful, what success means to them based on how people react to their artwork. But that's just not, uh, first of all, that's, that's difficult as a person to deal with because you really can't control that. But second of all, in surface pattern design, it's really not relevant. It's not about whether the art is correct. There is no correct. It's what fits on the shelves for that season, for that retailer, for that moment. Um, So that lesson has been one of my biggest takeaways from from working in house and then after my homelands job i 
I worked at Baby Gap as the uh, print designer for for Baby Gap. So, and I got to be in all those meetings and and see the apparel side of things and the children's wear side of things. And as the sole designer for the baby line, obviously, you know, I was putting together these collections, you know, with the help of my boss, of course. But you know, I was putting together prints and and seeing all the decision making from that perspective as well. And again, seeing that a lot of it didn't have to do with how good the art was. It was how well it fit in with the other art and whatever else was happening. I want to take a minute now to talk with our sponsor, Lyric Kennard from the Academy for Virtual Teaching. I'm Lyric Montgomery Kennard, and I'm here with the Academy for Virtual Teaching. And will you tell us a little bit about the Academy for Virtual Teaching? I'd love to. It's an online community of business people who are all using online education as an income stream. We have shop owners, we have independent artists and craftspeople who create their own online classes or just learn all the tech, how to create video, short tutorials, things like that for advertising. and of your business. And I understand you run some mini workshops. Right. So we have a monthly ongoing membership that is for professional development. We run mini workshops. We have live guest seminars that are all geared towards specific hands-on things to learn to improve your business. They're marketing courses, they are video tutorial courses, you know, they're, they're short, they're easy to hop into and out of, and they all get recorded. So there's a huge library of past workshops available in the professional development membership. That's great. Um, what else should we know about it? Well, my favorite thing is the community. Having a community of people who you can sincerely ask any question without fear of competition, without fear of um, looking stupid, right? Because we're all in this together and it's the people there are just so supportive and so kind. That's fabulous. So where can we go to learn more about how to get involved? You can Google the Academy for Virtual Teaching or go to a4vt.com. That's A, the number four, vt.com. Thank you so much, Larry. This sounds terrific. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much to the Academy for Virtual Teaching. And now back to my conversation with Elizabeth. Right. Absolutely. And um, what made you decide to make the leap from in-house design to freelance design? Because I think a lot of people, um, certainly a lot of Craft Industry Alliance members who are surface pattern designers, they kind of come to surface pattern design as a freelancer straight away. They don't necessarily, I mean, it, it's sort of somewhat less common to come through the path that you came from, which is to say formal training, in-house design for a long period of time, and then freelancing. So what made you decide to make that leap? Was that a scary leap to do? Did you feel confident you could bring, you know, bring in clients and, and support yourself? Yeah, it was a a practical thing. So I had been living in New York City for almost 10 years and 
I was ready to leave the city. I wanted a house. I was ready to start thinking about children. And I didn't want to do that in the city. And I certainly couldn't afford to do to get a house anywhere near the city. And I was just ready to, to kind of move out to the suburbs. And when myself and my partner were thinking about this, you know, uh, we started thinking about moving somewhere a little bit sunnier, less winters and North Carolina came up, which is where I currently am located. So it worked. (laughs) That's what we decided to do. But knowing that we were planning to move out of the city, I, I wanted to start to get away from an in-house job and, and I wanted to give myself flexibility and, I wanted to do that from when we were still living in New York because I wanted to make any connections I could in New York while we were still there and then branch out and hopefully be able to take that business with me to wherever we went to. So I made the decision uh, potentially a little bit naively. Like I, I, I don't think I rushed into it, but I definitely just assumed like, oh, I'll land on my feet no matter what. And I had that confidence that I have, you know, all this experience and so it'll, it'll work out and, you know, worst comes to worst, I can get a, some sort of other job, you know, retail job or whatever I can, you know, I'll pay my bills. It'll be fine. Um, and it's not, you know, and it did, it did work out, honestly, it, it truly did, but it was a hard, much harder climb than I expected it to be. And, you know, when we talk specifically about income, truly, I was able to make a sort of starting salary type income uh, within the first year. It was not close to what I had been making after 10 years working in-house, of course, but it was something that you could consider a full-time salary um, if you were just starting out. It was less than my starting salary out of college, but it was um, you know, something that would amount to what other people maybe made out of college, which was around $30,000. So, I mean, truly, I did make the leap and made a full-time income within, you know, a year. So that is is good. But it also felt like, wow, this is a lot harder, you know, knowing that after 10 years, obviously, I was making more than an a entry-level income that doing all the work of trying to find clients uh, wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. Right. So how did you begin that? Did you have some clients that you brought over? I mean, you were at Baby Gap, so I'm not sure if you were able to do that. Did you get an agent right away? Did you just respond to, like, did you go to to um, to search hacks or to another, um, you know, uh, trade show and try to try to find clients that way, market your art and your portfolio yourself? Or how did you sort of build the beginning client base? Oh, I feel like I did everything. <laughs> I didn't. Act, I, I I didn't. I never exhibited a trade show, so I will say that. Um, I, I, leaving, leaving the gap, they, I was able to work for the gap for a while to do some freelance work. Um, they replace, they had to replace, you know, my position of course, but I was able to do some, I was, I had been doing both, uh, baby gap designs, but also I had been doing a lot of print work for the underwear, the kids underwear department. Cause they use a lot of prints because they do these, you know, six pack, seven packs of underwear and stuff like that. So, 
A little known fact is I'm an expert at uh, small boys' underwear, <laughs> which I don't advertise for reasons you can understand. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, it's a skill set that I have, but I don't <laughs> advertise. So, um, so I was able to do that, uh, a lot, um, for the first, you know, basically year, year and a half after, after I left and I was able to get, you know, uh, a good amount of business from that. But then, um, yeah, I was, I was reaching out to all kinds of past colleagues. I was looking at, yeah, freelancing type sites. I was also exploring um, print studios, which was an interesting, you know, opportunity um, that I was able to to jump into, which is, you know, print studios come to all of the companies that I worked in-house and came with stacks and stacks and stacks of prints and they're showing and we were buying them outright, buying those prints, you know, so that we could use them in our lines. And so I knew various uh print studios. And some of them were big studios and some of them were sort of smaller boutique studios. And so I reached out to a few that I had, had, um, you know, bought from when I was working in-house and asked if they were looking for any print designers and, and ended up working for, well, in the end, I worked for two um, freelancing designing um, and my prints would go into their collection. And then if they were purchased, then obviously I would get, get money for that. Um and then, yeah, talking to previous uh, co-workers who might have some connections and then really just starting to get my work out there and pitch myself to companies that I wanted to work with. Do those print studios still exist? Because I feel like, again, that's a part of this industry that people don't know about and don't see. Yes, they definitely do. They're a really huge part of the industry. In fact, I'm I'm going to be doing an interview with a, a, a print studio owner this month, I'm, I'm really excited about it because yeah, it's a subject that's really not talked about a lot. And um, yeah, it's a, it's actually a huge part of the in-house industry is buying prints from, from studios because in-house designers don't usually have the opportunity to like spread out their watercolor paint sets or their gouache or whatever, and do these, you know, some of these prints. And, and also they don't often have the time to really conceive of a lot of new ideas you know sometimes they're creating prints from scratch but a lot of times they're they're buying from print studios and then maybe creating coordinates or maybe adjusting it to their needs um a lot of a lot of the work i did when i was working in house was taking other people's art and adjusting it to what we needed our formats our colors um potentially uh changing some things like maybe it's like oh we love this fruit print but we definitely don't want any pineapples in this print so we'll take out the pineapples but we'll leave the other fruits or whatever so so adjusting artwork that that we purchased um all of these all these things are sort of part of the the world of surface pattern design that people don't always realize as freelancers or as people who came in through online learning because Online learning is presented as you do this beautiful design and no one wants to touch it. And it is, you know, create whatever comes to your heart and, and that will be the, the thing that can, that will, you know, propel your career. But the truth is there's a lot of give and take in the art industry, uh, in the commercial art industry, um, in order to make things work for products. And I guess I, I don't totally understand 
why companies, and I'm talking everything from like quilting, fabric, to wrapping paper, wallpaper, all the things, why they would hire a freelance designer, given that they often also still have an in-house designer who cleans things up and makes, you know, does all of that work. And given that there's print studios, in other words, it seems to me like there's a plethora of um, designs available that they can buy, plus, you know, expertise available that, that can help them turn those designs into what they want them to be and what colors they want, the sizes they want, et cetera. So, um, it, you know, but yet there's all of these people who would love to be and are freelance surface pattern designers. Um, so what do you think drives a company to say, oh, well, we're going to we're going to pick a freelancer for this versus we are going to access all the resources that are much easier because they're all right here, you know? Right. Well, I think there could be a number of factors involved. So I'd say some of my clients would uh, are small, very small companies. So maybe they don't have an in-house designer. Maybe they only do, you know, three or four prints every season for whatever their product is, whether it's apparel, whether it's, um, you know, dinnerware, whatever, whatever, maybe it's a small greeting card company, you know, I'm just trying to think of examples, but so maybe they don't have an in-house designer. Maybe they have a vision, they have an idea of what they want. They have a manufacturer, but they don't actually have a designer. And so they need that, uh, freelance art to make their product shine. So that's one potential. Um, another thing I've seen is, wanting to have a variety of voices represented or styles or hands, as you might say. Um, Sometimes in some of the companies I've freelanced for, I feel that some of the in-house designers are a little bit more skilled at the production work. And again, don't exactly have that time for the creative freedom of of coming up with trend forward work, or maybe they're not really skilled at a certain uh, type of art, like lettering or or watercolor art, or or s- certain styles that might be needed for a design that they're looking for. And so, then a freelancer, if they know a freelancer has that skill set, they can have a freelancer fill that hole and 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 get that artwork and they're getting it custom. So uh, studios, I mean sometimes studios offer offer, you know, we can do custom work. What what do you want? But the main part of a studio's business is showing up with art that's already created. So if you have something in mind, if you're if you know that you need certain phrases on your gift bags or again you're trying to fit into a trend a trend board that was sent to you by Target that says our our Easter art is all going to be pastels and it's going to be based on, you know, antique Peter Rabbit, you know, whatever ideas, then you're not necessarily going to find that in a stack of Easter art. So you can come to someone who is a specialist like myself and say, okay, this is, here's the trend board. Here's the colors. We want it to say this can you design something? And um, of course I can. So, um, so that's another example of when you would use it for sort of someone's specialty expertise that maybe an in-house designer doesn't have the time for. And also, yeah, just the time. Sometimes if you do high volume, it might just be a matter of 
you know, it, uh, you don't have to pay a freelancer, um, you know, benefits and all that kind of stuff. So it's easy to say, oh, we're really overloaded and probably we should hire another person to be in-house. But what we can do in the meantime is pay, you know, freelancers. And with the advent, obviously you graduated in 2003, social media wasn't a thing yet, but it was soon to be. And while you were working as an in-house designer, it did become a thing, you know, Instagram, 2010, et cetera. So I do see myself, there are some freelance surface pattern designers who um, maybe also become marketing partners with some of the companies that they're hired to work with in that. And I, and I mean that in that, like, if that person has, you know, 50,000 Instagram followers and a really um, unique style and a devoted following, um, you know, for example, like I have in my bathroom right now, um, a pump soap that I bought at Target that was designed by Lisa Congdon. And as soon as those pump soaps, she did two designs, uh, went live on the Target site, I bought as many as I could get so that I have them all in my basement. <laughs> and I just <laughs> continually cycle yeah. them because, and, and so in that way, it wasn't just that I was in Target, average consumer walking up and down the aisles, ooh, pretty pump soap, I'll buy it. It was like, oh, Lisa has pump soap at Target. I'm going to buy it because she put it on her Instagram and I've known Lisa for a long time and love her work. So I feel like that's kind of an extreme example, but there are quite a few, I feel like. And so I, I wondered if you see that as well. Yeah, definitely. So I think there is a, there are just so many different levels and and different facets to this industry. And I think certainly, you know, the idea of an art brand having an art brand, being a brand yourself and having your art be recognizable as your own is, is another, definitely another, another part of the industry. And so that's, that side of it is, yeah, it can be, you're building yourself sometimes through social media or definitely through social media, because people have to understand, see your work regularly and, and that is how then often clients can find you and they're looking for your exact look versus, you know, someone who can fit into the mold of the target trend book or whatever it is. So that is, that's sort of a, a different, you know, a, a different caliber. Um, and that is sometimes associated with art licensing and it's not, and, and in the example that you just gave Lisa Congdon, I mean, it is in some ways, I'm sure she's doing some sort of freelancing, but her, her name might be on it. Or if her name is, you know, there can be a flat fee thing. It might not be licensed per se, but art licensing would be where it's your art and it's being, um, basically rented kind of used by manufacturers and you're getting royalties for it. Um, and, and in that case, that's a situation where, you know, having a really strong art brand, having a strong following, having a recognizable style can be, it is very beneficial because then people are looking for you and for that style from you. And I license my artwork as well, but I feel like I'm a, I'm sort of a mid, mid-level, you know, because I do straddle the world of freelance and art licensing. I have certain art that I show, you know, on my website and on my Instagram that, I mean, I think it, 
has a has similarities to it. There's a theme to it. But in my art licensing portfolio, the truth is I do have a lot of different types of art. And that's because I was trained in-house and I work as a freelancer. So I'm used to doing a lot of different types of art for trying to fit in for different brands. Um, as far as building my own brand, that is something that, you know, I'm still still working on, you know, building. Um, and while I've, you know, had many licensing partners, um, it's still not like, I don't think people are coming, you know, people aren't definitely aren't, uh, I'm not selling out, uh, my fabric lines the second they drop because of my name. It's because hopefully of cute artwork. (laughs) Right. Right. And you have an agent now, correct? Yes. I have an art licensing agent. Yes. For art licensing. Okay. And so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that relationship and how it works. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, in 20, so in 2012, I started freelancing and in 20, late 2013, um, I started working with my agent, which is, uh, jewel branding and licensing. And the reason I started getting into that was because I took Lilla Rogers original very first course, uh, make art that sells when, when it first debuted, um, I was in that, that first class and, and yeah, art licensing sounded great. <laughs> and having worked in house, I knew we had actually worked with some, some, some artists. We, we worked more with like bigger brands, like kind of like celebrity brands, I would say, who they weren't necessarily artists. And we were doing the art basically as uh, in the style of what that celebrity might be interested in, let's say. But we did have a few artist brands that we worked with. So I understood the concept of it. And I just hadn't really thought of, you know, the idea that, yeah, a, a artist who didn't have necessarily a strong style would license their art. Um, you know, when you think about when I originally thought about art licensing, I kind of thought about, you know, things like maybe Mary Mecco or like um, Vera Bradley, you know, these these very strong art brands. Um, and but, you know, having taken Lilla's course, it was sort of like, well, yeah, if you have the art that people are looking to license it. So I was like, all right, well, cool. I I am freelancing, but I don't have a full, you know, I still have more time for work. I'm still building my client list. So let me get an agent and and then that'll that'll fix that problem. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, again, I, I this might be a theme that I was like, oh, sure, we'll just do this and it'll be fine. <laughs> I think that is an important, that's a, that's, a, that wasn't a bad thing, right? Then none of this is a bad thing because if you're too fearful, if you're thinking like this will never work out, there's no way that me doing this is going to lead to success, then you're never going to do anything. But anyways, I found an agent and hooked up with Julie Newman, who runs Jewel Branding. And it was definitely a smaller agency than it is now. Now she has, Probably, you know, they probably have 10 or 12 employees um, and like four or five agents, you know, and and they have at least, you know, 50 artists and brands that they work with. Um, but at the time, maybe it was like two or three agents and, and maybe 20 artists um, and brands. So, I mean, it wasn't tiny, but it was it was smaller. And um 
yeah, I started to dive into the world of art licensing. And, and what I didn't have when I started was a large portfolio because almost all of my work, I had a portfolio, but not an art licensing portfolio. And the difference there is that almost all my work, I could show it and say, hey, I drew this, but I couldn't give it to Julie to then license out because it was all done for clients and previous employers. I didn't own the copyrights to any of that art. I had I had maybe two or three collections of designs and maybe four to 10 greeting card designs um, to say, this is stuff you could license right now. But most of it was, this is what I can do. And then I got busy and started making a portfolio that I could license out and that I did own the copyright to. And that meant, you know, a lot of, a lot of, yeah, looking at what was, what was working in the market and creating around those themes and, and having some fun visiting trade shows and, and learning more about what kind of products get licensed and, and creating a lot of new art for the, those first few years. And it's been a good experience. Now it's been almost 10 years, which is wild. Um, it's been a good experience, but I will just say that it, it's, it's something that they always talk about as a long build because you have to build up the artwork. Then licensors have to want to use the artwork. So they have to choose your art, let's say, and then they have to manufacture the art has or manufacture the product that the art is going on then it has to get into stores and then if you're getting paid via royalties then they have to process all the you know sales numbers and pay to your agent and then your agent has to pay you so basically you know it's not unusual to create art and then even if it gets picked up within 3 months of you creating it to not get paid for like a year and a half so it's definitely a long game, um, even if that's if you create something that gets picked up within three months, which, again, I have the collections that I've done in 2013 that still never, never got licensed. And I have some that have been licensed multiple times. So it it it, it really depends. But um, I would say that licensing has been a wonderful experience, but it has, it is not as profitable as, you know, I would want it to be. And that's why I still freelance as well, because I make more money freelancing than I do licensing by a long shot. I make about 25% of my art income from art licensing. Um, And now you teach a lot of these skills. I mean, you've had a lot of different experiences um, a lot of, and you have a lot of skills and you have a lot of know-how and knowledge and understanding how the industry works. And so you have um, created basically business to business content to say to other artists who would like to learn how to sell their artwork in these various different ways. And so I think there's a segment of people who would say, oh, I would never do that because you're just training your competition, but maybe that's not how you feel. So what made you make the decision that, yeah, I'm going to teach these skills? Was it people emailing and asking, well, how did you do this? Or do you, or do you just really enjoy teaching and, and wanted to do it? Or how did you get into teaching the business of this? Um. Good question. I I think part of it was strategic and part of it was a frustration with seeing people come into the industry that really had no concept of so many different sides of it, right? I've already talked about, you know, my 
experience working in-house and print studios and things like that. And these are things that people know nothing about still to this day. And my actually, my first class was about print studios because I had bought from print studios while working in-house. And then I had freelanced for print studios after I left working in-house. And so I've been on both sides of it. And it's something that was really a topic that no one talks about. No one knew anything about, certainly when I did it. And now I've retired that course. Um, still, I don't really see that much information about it. And so it was it was just a, a subject that I just felt like there's a major hole out here. People don't know anything about this. This is such an opportunity and people are looking for 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 work and for information and this is something that that I can provide and and I was just curious about about teaching in general I just wanted to kind of give it a try and again I just was like let's do this let's see how it goes and and that was a well received course I did that through a a learning platform that no longer exists called Atly and they sold like creative courses and I did that in 2016 and it was a you know I didn't it was a inexpensive course and Atly wasn't the greatest platform. I think by the time I joined it, it was sort of, I would say on the decline. Um, and so, you know, definitely it, the course had more opportunity or didn't have as many opportunities as it probably should have, but even still the people who took it had such a good experience with it. You know, I got such great feedback from it and people found print design jobs and that was amazing. And I'm like, wow. So like the idea that I could help people who need the help and also kind of set the record straight on some industry, you know, uh, some, some information gaps that I saw out there and, and sort of drive the ship a little bit um, on, on what people thought about certain aspects of surface pattern design. Um, that was really appealing to me. So that was something that was a, a big part of it. And so now, um, maybe describe kind of what you offer from a B2B um, um, point of view. And um, and would you share like what percentage of your overall income comes from the business to business teaching aspect versus the art making part? Yeah, definitely. Um, so currently, my the courses that I have are, um, I have three, I'm just thinking, I have various like offers. I'd say I have two main courses. One is successful licensing collections. And so that's all about creating, um, creating a collection of artwork that works together. Um, and it's really, uh, it's called licensing collections, but really it's about marketable collections, things that you could use for whether it's your spoon flower or your, um, or, or for your portfolio or for whatever. Um, but showing how to create things that work well together, that you're paying attention to the market, doing the trend research, doing the theme research, um, assessing your own work, that kind of thing. So that's the one big class that I have. And then the other class that I have that's really big is um, start your service pattern business. And this is for people who already have a portfolio because I was seeing this in the market of people who had this artwork, but still weren't getting it out there because they didn't feel like it was good enough or they were scared or they didn't know the next move. So this is really a class about focusing in on what you want to use your art for and making sure your portfolio is ready for that and 
basically setting yourself up to start getting your art in front of art directors for pitching yourself, for sending those emails, for sending sending out your work and making connections with people who can pay you, whether it's for licensing deals or freelance um, people who can, who will be paying you to do those designs instead of letting them sit on your computer. So those are my two biggest things. I have other sort of smaller offerings, but those are the two big things that I offer. And um, so as far as income at this point, uh, so in 2020 is when I launched Start Your Service Pattern Business. And that was, you know, that was born out of me having a full client load and basically starting to have too much client work and wanting to leverage my time a little bit better because there's only 40 hours a week. There's only so much time I can design. And I just wanted to have something that was um, more scalable. And so putting together a really big class, I had had earning with design studios and I had had successful licensing collections and those were sort of smaller courses, but I knew I had a big business course in me and I wanted to, I wanted to get that out so that I could have something that was scalable. Um, and with that came getting into blogging and YouTube and just teaching, teaching like free content as well, because again, I just, I guess I just have a lot to say. So, so anyways, as far as income goes, um, you know, it has varied, but I, I'm not sure what 2022 was like. I do know 2022, my art income took a bit of a dip, but I think the it's it, I know it was around 55% horses and 45% art. It might have been in 2022 like 60% courses and 40% art. Um but yeah, that's that's around the split at this point. Um yeah, so that's where that's where I'm at on that. So teaching business has really helped with your overall building your overall um income, like you're, you're, you know, adding this other income stream has really been a, a, a helpful, um, addition. Yeah, I would say so. But I also would say like, it has taken a lot of, I would say my income when I was doing full art, like all art was not that much lower than right because <laughs> you know, there's like, only so much of you so in other right words, and there's also like attention. so many more yeah. expenses mm-hmm. included with doing classes like when I did yeah. art my only expenses was like my adobe subscription mm-hmm. basically now it's like all this different software for like you know video editing and for different all just just so many so many different things and then I have an assistant who helps me because of all the sort of admin that goes along with right with courses and it's not just creating the course, but it's fine. I don't do like YouTube. I mean, I don't do ads, um, but what instead I do YouTube videos where I'm teaching. And so, you know, I, people can gain from that, but then hopefully at some point they're interested in joining my courses and that's great. But then there's just basically, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So it's not sort of as easy as like, I just have to make this one course and then I'm I'm like, cool. Suddenly I've doubled my income. That is like not even close to the reality. Um, Anything seems sort of easy from afar of like, oh, I'll just do this and it'll be fine. But the truth is like now with expenses and everything like that, I 
you know, I'm not really in that much better of a like financial spot as I was when I just did 40 hours a week of designing. So, right. It's just more diversified. And you have a, um, you have a YouTube uh, coming up. That's going to be an ask me anything about freelancing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to do that. I've been doing a few more YouTube lives lately. You know, most of my stuff is pre-recorded, but I love to answer questions and I get so many questions in my inbox. Um, so I had recently last month done a, just a general ask me anything and got some really, really great questions. But this month, um, I'm doing it specifically about freelance because that is an, it, uh, thing. I feel like art licensing is something that's really huge in our industry. People always talk about art licensing, but freelance is not talked about as much. So I am happy to answer those questions and, uh, help, help people get a better understanding of it. Yes. And we will put a link to your YouTube in um, the show notes so people can catch that one or another one coming up, depending on when they listen. And I want to make sure we get to your recommendations. Your first one is the canvas lamp. And I have to say, I see this advertised constantly. I must like click on it every now and then because it's always advertised to me and it looks super cool. So what is it really like? Yeah. So the canvas lamp is, it's like, it's like a desk lamp that has a really heavy base and and then the top of the lamp part of it is sort of like a, a small ring light and you can put your your phone into it and basically so the the main idea is that you can record from above so if you're if especially this would be great for crafters for sure um but for an artist like me it would be more like i put my ipad down or my sketchbook down and i can record myself drawing from above and uh yeah i don't do a lot of i do do a lot of youtube videos but i don't do a lot of you know drawing on you know drawing on video um, because there's a lot of the undo key used in my iPad, but, <laughs> but I'm going to get into it and I'm, I'm going to, I've already started doing some recording. I'm going to release something soon. And, and it's, it's also just a really nice, uh, lamp and it could be used for front facing videos as well, because it's basically, you know, if I turn it, it's basically just a small ring light, um, with that you can put your phone onto. So it's, it's, it's great for a lot of options. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I got it on sale. I've been advertised. The advertising works. Eventually I just broke down and I was like, it's on sale. I'm just going to get this. Well, I'm glad to know it's actually a good product. And speaking of kind of um, the undo key, you have been using um, an Archer and Olive sketchbook and a pencil and just kind of keeping that in your living room and getting away from that undo key has helped you as well. Yeah, totally. Look, I love my iPad. And when I got it in 2018, like it definitely, it became my new sketchbook. Um, I love, I love all the opportunities that I, I love the undo key. It was a sketchbook that I always wanted because, you know, when you spend a lot of time sketching something and then you realize it should have been 25% bigger or whatever, you're like, oh, this isn't going to work. <laughs> so, so, um, you know, the iPad is everything I could want. However, I feel like I've been getting very much in my head sometimes when I'm trying to be more creative and think of better, you know, think of ideas and brainstorm. I feel like the iPad sometimes can be a little paralyzing because you have all these options, because you can make all those little adjustments, because you can use any color you want or any brush you want and whatever. Sometimes I get too much in my head. Um, so having that paper, going back to that paper sketchbook and my, my mechanical pencil and, you know, sort of just sketching whatever and knowing that it can't be perfect. It can't be 25% bigger. It just is what it is when I draw it. Um, 
that that has really helped me lately be a little bit more more creative in my sketchbooking. And you've also been doing um, 100 Days of Lettering um, in your sketchbook, too, with um, somebody named Jay Roeser. Is that his name? And he has some Roder. I think are... I did a oh. typo. Yeah. Oh, Jay sorry, Roeder. <laughs> I actually didn't look this up in advance, as you can tell. Um, Jay Roeder's 100 Day of Lettering. So tell us a little bit about that about that, and, and why you find it to be helpful. Yeah, it's a book that I, I purchased. Uh, and it's Jay Roeder is a really great lettering artist. And what I like about his lettering is that it's it's organic and it's loose and it's not like super perfect. It's very expressive. And some letterers are so, you know, yeah. beautiful and perfect, yeah. <laughs> but I'm never going to be that letterer. So I, I'm, I've been into lettering a lot more lately, but I'm not someone who's going to take all the, you know, take it to that level of, of perfection. So I love how expressive his his style is. And this book has all these different ways to, uh, you know, all these different kind of prompts and exercises for to do in a hundred days. I've just sort of worked on work on it when I work on it, you know, I'm not really like doing it all in, in a hundred days straight, but, um, it's, it's given me a lot of tips and it's also just really visually exciting because it shows so many examples of his own lettering and different types of, uh, styles of lettering and different ideas. And so it's just been really fun to, use that in conjunction with my with my sketchbook and just play around with some different lettering layouts. That is encouraging to me as a person who doesn't have good handwriting and so therefore like always <laughs> avoids all lettering um, because okay. feeling like, oh, I can't do it. But to know like, of course, you see illustrations where it's very rough and, um, you know, and purposely looks that way and looks great. So um, yeah, yeah it's, it's a fine a line. It's hard. It's, it is definitely a fine line between like what looks amateur and what looks purposely, right. <laughs> purposely, yeah, rough or, or organic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. I appreciate it, Abby. Thank you so much. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by the Academy for Virtual Teaching, a community of creative entrepreneurs building proficient, profitable, and professional online teaching businesses. Are you ready to invest in your business by adding online education to your income stream? The Academy for Virtual Teaching can help you overcome your fear of technology, create on-demand workshops, and learn to use educational video as part of an effective marketing strategy. So check them out at a4vt.com. That's A4, the number four, vt.com. Thank you so much to the Academy for Virtual Teaching. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.